You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Sean Myers as he delivers, stopping to find what's missing. So welcome to spring break at 12 Stone here and across all of our campuses. Well, except for Bethlehem campus. That's right. Barrow County decided to be a little bit different. They're waiting three weeks still for their spring break. But maybe the joke's on us. Maybe the joke's on us. In three weeks, we'll be back to work and y'all will be in your own vacation enjoying that. But we want to say a special welcome to those of you that are joining us online who are on spring break right now. You're across the U.S. sitting on a warm beach with your feet up on the sand or in a condo, tuning in to what's going on now. And from all of us that are still here at 12 Stone, I think we mean this from the bottom of our heart when we say that we're jealous. But we are thankful that you have the opportunity to be taking a vacation with your family and still be present with your church family here today. That's awesome. And man, over the next two weeks, as we're taking a much-needed spring break, we thought we would take a break here at 12 Stone to talk about rest. So we're gonna talk about rest over the next two weeks. And we're gonna talk about what rest is supposed to be according to God's word. Now, I say the words supposed to be because I think we all understand that rest isn't always what we think it's gonna be. What we think is gonna be restful sometimes doesn't deliver the rest that we want. When Cassie and I have the opportunity to go on vacation, it is no secret that we absolutely love Disney. We just do. We love Disney. We're Disney junkies. We're not sorry about it. Uh, it. It is what it is. So any opportunity we get to go on vacation, we're gonna take the family down to Disney. But when we go on vacation, we have this, this picture inside of our heads of what we hope and expect that vacation to be like. In fact, let me show you a picture of one of the vacations uh, we just took at Disney. We went some, with some family friends, Paul and Courtney Neiman, and, and this is what vacation is supposed to look like, right? This is what it's supposed to look like. This was spring break 2017. Sun's shining. Everybody's smiling. Their eyes are all open. I mean, this is what a spring break vacation is supposed to look like. And this is what we all post on Instagram. We're going to have to deal with these types of pictures for the next week uh, on social media no matter what. But, you know, vacation doesn't always look like this, does it? It doesn't. Can I show you what that vacation was actually like? Check this out. That was us running through the parking lot 
of the magic kingdom as it poured on our family, of course, because we were parked in the very back. We had to run over two miles with a double stroller with all of our kids piled in it, screaming at the top of their lungs because they were drenched. And of course, we only packed one pair of shoes for all of us, and so uh, we had to find a way to dry our shoes, still had a few days left of the vacation. We had hair dryers in the hotel room trying to dry everything off, because our kids are miserable. Man, that was a miserable vacation. There was no rest involved with that at all. Have you ever come back from a vacation needing a vacation? You ever been there? Yeah. We needed that in this, and you know why? Because we don't really need vacations. What we really need is rest. And and maybe you don't get it in all the ways you expect, but we're going to continue to keep looking for it, aren't we? One of the ways that I try to get rest in my life, well, it's a little bit embarrassing, so don't judge me, but, but I'll share. One of the ways I look for rest is I binge the show Friends on Netflix, Don't judge me. You have a show. You have something that you're watching that you're a part of. But for me, Cassie and I, my wife and I, we watch the show Friends. And whenever we turn it on, for whatever reason, we feel better about life. But as soon as you turn the TV off, what's waiting there for you? Anxiety and pressure and worry of life is still there waiting for us. And here's what happens. Like, I'm trying to resolve a problem in my life. I'm trying to figure out a solution to a problem inside of my head. And as I'm thinking about that problem, as I'm trying to solve that problem, I begin to get anxious about being anxious about the problem, right? And so what I do to get away, to rest, to escape, to relax, is I go turn on Netflix and watch Friends. But inevitably, an hour and a half later, I turn off the TV, and now not only am I anxious, but I feel guilty about wasting an hour and a half of TV, right? Please tell me I'm not the only one in this. Like, we do this because we're looking for rest inside of our lives, and we can't seem to escape the restlessness. Now, let me be bold enough to assume something of you that's true of me. You are just plain tired and often overwhelmed, amen, anxious, restless. And between work responsibilities, marriage, kids, getting kids to all the places they have to go, paying the bills, doing laundry, commuting to work, uh, taking out the trash, cooking dinner, making deadlines, an everyday grind of life, you are just plain tired. So much so that even resting sometimes feels like just another thing you have to do. So why can't we find the rest that we so desperately need and want? Here's why. Because there is a rest that only God can give. There is a rest that you can't get through vacations or sleeping in or watching Netflix. Only God can give the rest that we need. And it's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus invites us into this rest. Let, let me read it for you. He says this, Jesus' words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Whew. I want to get me some of that, don't you? Right? 
Come on, give me some Jesus and some rest in my life. And what I love about this invitation, what I love about it, is Jesus isn't inviting those who have their lives completely together. Jesus isn't inviting those who have a life of ease. Jesus is inviting those who are weary and burdened. He's inviting those who are tired. He's inviting those who live off five-hour energies. He's inviting those who have kids that refuse to go to bed. He's inviting those who have to commute every single day in five o'clock traffic. He's inviting those who seem to have a job and work that never ends. He's inviting all of us who are tired. But if I could be honest, if I keep reading Jesus' words in this moment, as I get to verse 31, my encouragement moves to discouragement. Let, let me read. He says this. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as soon as I read the words easy and light, I begin to question myself. Now, now I'm not questioning my salvation. I know that I am saved by faith through grace, through Jesus Christ alone. I have surrendered my life to Christ. Bible tells me that God has me in the palm of my hands and that he will never lose me. I cannot lose it because he will never lose me. But when I read the words easy and light, I begin to question something that I experience. And it comes in the form of a question. And here's the question. What am I missing? What am I missing? See, Georgia Tech football fans know exactly what I'm saying when I read this question. Every single season, what am I missing? It's called an offense. Welcome to the 21st century. I saw you in the front row at Georgia Tech, and I just had to. I, I couldn't help it. I apologize. Yeah, keep tuning in. It'll be all right. <laughs> but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, listen. If I had to be completely vulnerable and completely honest with you today, when I read the words of Jesus where he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, I ask myself the question, what am I missing? Because more often than not, when I'm following Jesus, it doesn't seem easy and light. It seems difficult and heavy. See, but I know that Jesus' words are true. I know that what he invites us to is real, that we can have real rest through him. So I know that there's something wrong with me. What am I missing? And I need your help here today. I do this from time to time when I teach, but I wanna keep doing it because I think it helps us. How many of you in this room would be willing to admit that at some point in your faith journey, in some point in following Jesus in your life, you have asked or wondered this question when you're facing a circumstance or a season in your life? Would you put your hands up if you've ever thought that or wondered that here and across all of our campuses and online? Keep them up for a second. Take a look around the room. Take a look around, even at your campuses. Man, overwhelming majority have asked this question at some point in their life. We need to know that we're not alone. And you know what? I think it's okay that this question comes up in our faith. I think sometimes the Spirit of God will put this question inside of your life because he knows that you are missing out on the rest, the true biblical rest that Jesus Christ offers. And he wants you to have it. He wants you to experience it. See, I want a life 
where I don't have the anxiety and worry and restlessness of the things I have to face and do weighing on me. Who wants that? I want that. And this is what Jesus offers each and every one of us. That's why I've entitled today's teaching, Stopping to Find What is Missing. Because today we need to stop to find what we are missing when it comes to this rest that Jesus offers and invites us into. Because if there's one thing we all long for, it's rest. It's why every time someone dies, we say what? Rest in peace. We all long to rest in peace not only after we die, but also while we live. We all want the inward and outward rest and peace that comes from being in a good relationship, right? I mean, have you ever been in a bad relationship? There is nothing more draining and unrelaxing than a bad relationship. But a good and right relationship brings rest. And this is what Jesus is offering to you and I. So I want to give you the thought we'll be going after today and unpacking. And, and through next week, too, we're going to go after it. And here it is. It's on the top of your notes. You can write this down. You can't have the peace of God if you're not at peace with God. Let me say it again. You can't have the peace of God if you're not at peace with God. In fact, I want to get this inside of each and every one of our heads and our hearts here today as we break this down and go after this thought today. So on the count of three, here and across all of our campuses and online, why don't we say this out loud together, starting with you can't on the count of three. One, two, three. You can't have the peace of God if you're not at peace with God. And today we're going to stop to find the peace of God that Jesus offers us in rest by being at peace with God. And we're going to do this today by studying the story of the rich young ruler, which was recorded in the book of Matthew. Because the rich young ruler couldn't find peace and rest, so he asked the same question we're asking today, what am I missing? But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as we open up the word of God and dive in? So Father in heaven, we ask that today you would reveal to us how we can be at peace with you in order to experience the rest that you invite us into Jesus. We acknowledge here this morning our need for you and are desperate for you to show up. I pray, Father, that my words would be your words and that you, Holy Spirit, would lead us as a church here today that we may know you more and experience you, God, here and now. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16, carries the weight of this moment when the rich young ruler asks the question, what am I missing? This is page 986, page 986 in your worship center Bibles. They're underneath your chairs, in front of your chairs. You can go ahead and pull them out, page 986, Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16. Now, as you turn there, let me get you caught up with what we're about to jump into. The book of Matthew is the bridge that leads us out of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. The purpose of Matthew's gospel is to show that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament promises concerning a Savior that would come, meaning Jesus Christ is that Savior. Where we are about to read, Jesus has just finished saying his famous words, let the little children come unto me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after hearing this, the rich young ruler begins to have this restlessness stir up inside of him, and he has to interrupt Jesus. We're going to start at verse 16. I'll read the whole story, and then we'll break it down as we go. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 
Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, and here comes the question, what do I still lack? In other words, what am I missing? Jesus answered, if you wanna be perfect, think of the word whole right there, if you wanna be whole, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, the rich young ruler might have been the only person in all of the Gospels to come to the feet of Jesus and leave in a worse condition than when he came. He had everything we think we want, right? He was rich, he was young, and he was in a position of power. What could he possibly still want? More importantly, what could he possibly be missing? And as we break this down, Jesus is about to show us that there are two key things that the rich young ruler is missing inside of his life when it comes to rest, when it comes to being at peace with God. And the first one is this. You can write it down. He was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. I'll say it again. He was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. Let's read verses 16 and 17 again. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I, what's that word? What's that word right there? What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, Jesus is trying to help the rich young ruler because the rich young ruler doesn't understand who he's talking to. He doesn't understand that Jesus is this savior that scripture has promised. And verse 17 says this, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, This is only There is only one who is good. And this gets me excited because Jesus now is showing compassion on the rich young ruler and he's coming down to his level. Here's what Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler. You are asking me what good thing can I do to earn salvation and I'm telling you I'm the one good God that can give it. See, he understands and sees the rich young ruler's heart and he sees that this young man believes that he can earn it that he has to earn salvation, and Jesus knows that you can't earn it, you have to receive it through him. This is why Jesus' last words to him in verse 21 are this, come, follow me. Because he was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. The rich young ruler is a perfect example of religion. See, religion says follow the rules, But a relationship says, follow me. Jesus was inviting him into a relationship, but it wasn't absent of rules. Stay with me. In in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. See, a relationship with Jesus is not absent of rules or the law. So why do we have it? Because rules help secure and keep intact our relationship with one another. It protects our relationships. This is why we have rules with our kids. We want to protect our relationship with them. And rules must always follow the relationship. But when rules come before the relationship, that's when we have religion, which is where the rich young ruler was. See, the rich young ruler had settled for a lesser gospel than Jesus had ever intended. He settled for a half gospel where he reduced it down to doing nothing wrong rather than doing something right. 
And I think this is true for far too many of us in the church today. And and here's what I mean. By following Jesus, the disciples realize that Jesus came to do something right. They watched Jesus serve the people around him above himself. They watched Jesus face the cross, take on our sin, and give us salvation. Jesus came to do something right, and the disciples watched Jesus change lives, love people, serve people, take care of people. This is what they saw. But the rich young ruler had reduced the gospel down to doing nothing wrong. In church, what bothered Jesus and what should bother you and I is that you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. The Bible talks about how there are two categories of sin. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are the sins that we commit, the wrong things that we do in our life. But sins of omission are the the things that we fail to do that are right, that we should have and could have done for Jesus because of Jesus, but we failed to do. Those are sins of omission. And I think the church concentrates too much on the sins of commissions, the wrong things that we do, and we forget and neglect the things that we should have done, the sins of omission. And I think it's the should have, and could-haves and would-haves, the things that we could have gone done in this world that break our Father, our Heavenly Father's heart more than anything else. How do I know that? Because I'm an earthly father, right? My four-year-old daughter, Sailor, man, she is just a handful. She has got way too much of her mother in her. Uh, I'm just kidding. Babe, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Everybody knows she's got way too much of me in her. She's a firecracker, man, and she is as stubborn and full of it as it comes. Well, there was a day uh, that that a problem came up, and here's what we've been working on with our daughter, uh, Sailor. We've been trying to convince her and teach her that she can't hit her siblings. Now, I know. I get it. We're terrible parents. We're still working on it, but we're trying to help or understand you can't hit your brother brothers and sister you just can't do that and we keep pouring this in her well there was one day that Cassie and I were downstairs just doing whatever I can't remember what it was but all of a sudden there was just, just this screaming upstairs and it was Beckett and Sailor and my wife just looked at me like it's your turn and I uh, so I so I walked upstairs and as soon as I walked into the room my daughter Sailor's eyes just got huge they had been fighting over a toy with one another and as soon as I see my son Beckett, he has claw marks going down the side of his cheek and down his neck. And as I look at my daughter, Sailor, the first thing she says to me is, Daddy, I didn't hit him. (laughs) Congratulations, baby girl. Good job, because you just clawed his face, right? Like, and, and so I keep pushing this into my daughter and Billy's. You can't treat people. It's beyond hitting. It's just treating people well. And listen, my daughter through time has gotten better at this. And I'm, listen, I get excited that my daughter has learned not to hit, scratch, punch, bite. You couldn't imagine. Like, that gets me excited that she's chosen not to do the wrong thing. But nothing fires me up more than seeing my daughter do what's right. Nothing. 
It was last week. My daughter does gymnastics. It's the cutest thing seeing a four-year-old attempt to do anything gymnastics-like. But I get to drive her and drop her off because it's my day off, and I take her in. And this one day, she brought her doll with her that was dressed up in her gymnastics gear, too, and it was just this cute little thing. We sat on the bleachers as we waited for this class to start. But there was a little girl down front who was crying because she was just upset about something as she was waiting for this class. And unprovoked by me, I watched my daughter climb down the bleachers, walk up to this little girl and say, hey, do you want to play with my doll? We can play together while we wait. And the little girl just stopped crying and they started playing together. And as her dad, I have never been more excited in my life to watch my daughter do something right. In that moment, I'm like, I will buy you every doll in the world. You can have whatever you want. It is yours, girl, because I saw my daughter do something right. Yeah, I like seeing her not do something wrong, but doing something right and listen We have a heavenly father who is watching us, his church, right now. And he, yeah, he likes seeing us choose not to do something wrong, but he loves seeing us do something right because of Jesus. And if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ, listen, church, we cannot reduce following God to just following rules and doing nothing wrong. We have to be the church that follows Jesus and chooses to do something right because Because of Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we're called to be. Listen, the world is watching the church and Christians right now. And what they are seeing is they are seeing a church who is trying to follow the rules and do nothing wrong than condemn anyone else who can't and who does something wrong. But what the world and our culture needs to see is a church that because of Jesus goes and serves the neighbor that's in trouble, that goes to work, not on mission just to clock in and clock out, but to connect with our coworkers and demonstrate to them that we love them and that there is a God that loves them. This is what Jesus, this is what our heavenly father wants to see. This is following Jesus, not rules. And this is where we find the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had reduced the gospel to doing nothing wrong, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to do something right in the name of Jesus Christ. He was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. So he couldn't experience the peace and the rest that Jesus was offering. Here's the second thing that prevented the rich young ruler from being at peace with God and experiencing the peace of God. He loved his things more than he loved Jesus. Let's unpack that. Because Jesus had compassion on the rich rich young ruler. He decided to bring the conversation down to his level. Meaning when Jesus says the words that he says in verse 17, he's not saying that salvation is found in keeping the commandments. He's trying to talk in the rich young ruler's language. He is trying to help the rich young ruler see that even if the gospel was just about following the rules, the rich young ruler still couldn't. Verses 17 and 21, let's read. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Now immediately, we need to notice what Jesus just did. Jesus just listed out six of the 10 commandments and the ones that deal with how we relate with others. And the rich young ruler would have had these memorized at this point in his life. He would have known them by heart. He knew exactly what Jesus was doing. And yet, he failed to notice that Jesus kept one out. And the one that Jesus kept out was coveting. 
And the reason the rich young ruler couldn't see it is because that was his sin issue. He couldn't see his own sin. Look at his reply to Jesus. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? See, he couldn't see it. Jesus answered, if you wanna be perfect or whole, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What did Jesus do? Jesus just asked the rich young ruler, the man that was struggling with coveting, to do the one thing that someone that struggles with coveting could not do. Sell all of your things and follow me. And he did it so that the rich young ruler could see his sin. And look at the response. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, part of me, when I read this point of scripture, when I read this story, I think to myself, man, I I feel a little bit bad for the rich young ruler, don't you? I feel a little bit bad with him. I'm like, if I was one of the disciples, I would have pulled Jesus aside and be like, really, everything? Let's just start with the Ferrari. Like, come on, tell him to sell the Ferrari. All right, they didn't have Ferraris back then. Tell, Tell him to sell his prize horses. Start with that and kind of work your way down. But listen, Jesus will will settle for nothing less because he loves the rich young ruler. See, when we read this story, we only see what the rich young ruler had to give up, but we fail to recognize what Jesus was offering. Jesus was saying, follow me. The creator of the universe that spoke all of this into existence, that knit you and I together, that put the plants and the trees and the animals and everything in order where it is, is telling him, follow me. He is offering him the greatest thing that could ever be offered because Jesus, because God can accept nothing less from us than everything. Let me show you. Let's have a conversation. Let's see if I can help you realize what Jesus was doing with a rich young ruler because he loved his things more than he loved Jesus. Do you guys know what this is? This is a greater than symbol. You probably see this all over the place. But to help us understand this mathematical uh, symbol, let, let's play a little bit with college football. Pick, make fun of this guy in the front row a little bit more. Uh, here, here, let's do this. Georgia is obviously greater than Georgia Tech, right? Let's just say it how it is. Yeah, all you Georgia Tech fans, you get all excited. I get it, I get it. But don't get too excited because we also know that Alabama is greater than Georgia. Oh, yeah, roll tide, Okay get all excited at our campuses, but we're not done yet because we know that Clemson is obviously greater than Alabama. Listen, I don't think it's a coincidence that Saban and Satan rhyme. I just don't. And we know Coach Dabo loves him some Jesus, so we're we're good. We get this. So we understand what this means. Now let me show you what Jesus was trying to demonstrate to the rich young ruler with this. Jesus, when Jesus is less than anything in our lives, it's going to lead to restlessness. Because he can't accept anything less. Jesus is looking at the rich young ruler going, no, 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 it's everything. Give me everything you have. Give it up. Follow me. You have to love Jesus more than anything inside of your life. And I wonder here today, where is God trying to get your attention? Where is he pointing out and going, listen, what do you love more than me? You got to give it up. You got to give it back. Because here's what he's trying to show the rich young ruler. He's trying to show him this. Jesus, when Jesus is greater than everything in our life, it gives rest. See, this is why we can go to Jesus, meet with Jesus in prayer and read God's word and worship and still feel restless because Jesus is trying to get our attention saying, listen, you have to give me everything. I have to be greater than everything inside of your life. See, while the rich young ruler struggled with uh, coveting, what he really struggled with was idolatry. See, he was worshiping other things. 
besides God. Yeah, he was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. And you and I, we struggle with idolatry. We just don't connect with it in Scripture because Scripture talks about it in the way of making a false idol, a golden calf, and worshiping that. But let me give you a modern-day look at what idolatry can look like. Here's an acronym of idols. It could be items, things that you have. Listen, I've been pastoring for 10 years now, and I haven't seen a whole lot of people possessed by demons, but I've seen a whole lot of people possessed by their possessions where they just can't get past it. Maybe it's an item. Maybe it's a duty, a responsibility. Maybe your job that you strive to do well at. Maybe it's being the best parent you can possibly be. But we strive to be these different things, which causes us to worship being that over worshiping God. And maybe it's others. Maybe, maybe it's a celebrity that you love like Justin Bieber. This is one I love. Don't judge me. Uh, it, it could be your kids, right? It could be your kids that you love more than God. It could be your spouse or the person that you're dating that you love more than God, and that's idolatry. Maybe it could be the longings you have, the, des- the desires you have, the dreams you have for the future can be something that you worship over God because instead of living in the present with Jesus now, you're concerned about the future and trying to get where you want to go. Maybe it's self. Man, I think in our culture, the number one form of idolatry that we struggle with is worshiping ourselves over anything else. So much so that I want to have a moment where I want to read this to us. And as I read this here today, I want to address our culture, and how we struggle with the worship of ourselves and the idolatry that comes with that. Because I think if Jesus showed up like he did for the rich young ruler, he would bring up the worship of ourselves here today. And as I read this, I I have to admit, man, I struggle with this stuff just as much as any of us. I'm just as guilty of this. But let me read what I think God wants to say to you and I here today when it comes to idolatry and the worship of ourselves. Our culture may not worship physical idols, but we do worship ourselves. We stare at mirrors. We lift our hands to worship ourselves as we lift our hands to take perfect selfies. We find our self-worth at the altar of social media likes. We have forgotten the creator and replaced him with the created. We have stopped worshiping ourselves. We have to stop worshiping ourselves as if we are a gift to this world because the only gift to this world is Jesus Christ. We have made the meaning of life to find ourselves rather than to find God and listen in students. We will only know ourselves rightly when we know God. Do you want to find yourself? Then find Jesus. When you find Jesus and know Jesus, you will know yourself. We should be sick and tired of a culture that tells us to to discover who we are. Hear me, church. You don't have to discover who you are. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to find yourself. The word of God has already declared who you are. Can I make a few declarations this morning? Can I make a few declarations? You are not, you are not the mistakes that you've made. You are not the labels that have been put on you. You are not the lies that Satan is trying to sell you. You are who God says you are. You are a child of God. You were bought at a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a new creation in Jesus. You are the righteousness of Jesus. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus. And you can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you. If you want to find yourself, find Jesus. Yes. And church, hear me. In three weeks, three weeks' time, 
We're gonna rip the roofs off our sanctuaries across 12 stone as we celebrate Easter. Because we're gonna celebrate the fact that while the world offers us empty promises, Jesus Christ offers us an empty tomb. And that is a truth that you can rest on. Yes, amen. Let's celebrate it well together as we approach it. One of my favorite quotes that I think best summarizes everything we're talking about today and what Jesus was trying to get across to the rich young ruler is from theologian and pastor Augustine. They'll throw it up. I'll read it for you. It's up here on the screen. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Thee, not me. Not you, not anything else. The rest we desire is only in God. And like the rich young ruler, we are at risk of our greatest assets becoming our greatest liabilities when we don't use them for the kingdom of God. This is idolatry. This is valuing something over Jesus. And I don't know when it was, but there was a day when the rich young ruler let his money, power, network, and resources possess him. He let his God-given tools become trophies and his gifts from God become gods themselves. He traded the creator for the created. So when Jesus said, sell your possessions, then come follow me, the rich young ruler walked away sad because he couldn't let go of his possessions because his possessions had possessed him. And he loved them more than he loved Jesus. So where in your life are you valuing something over God? Where do you love something more than you love Jesus? What tool has God given you to use for the kingdom, but you've just made it a trophy that you put on the mantle? We have to surrender it back to him like the rich young ruler. Jesus would ask for nothing less. So there were two things that the rich young ruler was missing. First, he was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. Second, he loved his things more than he loved Jesus. The story of the rich young ruler is by far one of the saddest stories I've ever seen in scripture. He had all the potential in the world. Money, connections, a network, influence, all of which he spent on himself because he thought that's what would make him happy and give him rest. It reveals that we are at risk of missing out on the rest and peace that Jesus offers us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he invites those who are weary and burdened to walk in the rest of Jesus. See, the rich young ruler eventually became the old rich ruler. And I don't know what went across his mind when he laid on his deathbed, but I would guess it was the moment when Jesus uttered the words, follow me. I think those words echoed inside of his head for the rest of his life as he thought about the decision that he made in that moment. And the same offer that was made to the rich young ruler is the same offer that Jesus offers to you here today. Follow me. Don't love anything above me. Yeah, follow rules. Don't do wrong things, but do right things in the name of Jesus Christ. He deserves our praise. Let's sing to him. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Come on, church, sing it out. Come on, sing this out. And God. 